This summer, we have done a series throughout the summer entitled Summer Reruns. And what those have consisted of are messages that we've preached over the last two years. I've just randomly picked different messages that we've preached or series that we've preached and just brought together in one message um, a, a rerun of uh, the revelation of, of those truths. You know, Paul said, if any man thinks he knows anything, let him think he knows nothing as he ought to know it. Amen? And as long as I'm in this earthly body, it's my responsibility to stir you up in remembrance of the things you think you know, but you don't know them like you need to know them. Amen? So there's never, there's never a time when you've heard too much of any subject. But all throughout the summer, we've done summer reruns. And today, we, we, we did a series. Uh, I, I've, a lot of what I've taught this summer have been from messages last year. But we did a series in, in May of this year, so it's not too long ago, called Entitled Identity Crisis. And today, we're going to take one of those or, or, or a message from that series and minister again to you today. And so I, I promise you that these messages are nothing like any of the other messages. <laughs> uh, anything that, that we preach, it always comes out a different way. I, anything that I've ever preached comes from things that have been preached through the years. There is no original thought that you have ever had in your life. So no matter how sharp you think you are, you're not that sharp. You've never had an original thought. It came from somewhere else. You know where it came from? God, only God. Everything originates from him. You've net, you've not, you said, well, you know, I've, I, I got this a while back and I've never heard anybody say this. No, it's been said. I promise you it's been said. You're not that original. Amen? <clears throat> You're not that powerful apart from him. But in him, we're, we're, we're it. I mean, in his eyes, we're it. And, and we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But there's another verse that says, without him, we can do nothing. And, and humanity has proved that. And so when we understand who we are and our identity is correct, and we're not in identity crisis, but we're established in, in our identity, and we're confident in it, there's a lot that we can accomplish. Amen? I want to read, as I did in the series that we did, I want to read... Um, a definition, a Merriam-Webster's definition of identity, and one, there's, a, there's actually a definition of identity crisis. And the word identity, I mean, there's a lot of definitions, but this is one that pertains to what we're preaching about. A, identity is the qualities, beliefs, and beliefs that make a particular person or a group different from others. Your identity, who you are, makes you different than the next person. There, there are no, there, are, there is not another of you. Now, you know, you hear people say there's another person on the planet that looks like you or whatever. <laughs> but they don't look anything like you. You ever, you ever said, you ever, someone ever told you, um, who's the guy that people think I look like? Craig Ferguson. Anybody know who Craig Ferguson is? Raise your hand if you know who Craig Ferguson is. Okay, somebody raise your hand. You know who Craig Ferguson is. Raise your hand anyway. Act like you know who Craig Ferguson is. <laughs> no, <clears throat> he's some, uh, he's a, he used to be a nighttime uh, host of a uh, show on, on 
TV, The Late Night, one of the late night shows. He's from uh, England, Scotland, somewhere. So I'm walking down the street, across the street from the old post office one day. I was in a restaurant there, and I'm walking out, and I'm standing on the street corner, and all of a sudden this car pulls around. These two ladies jump out of the car. Are you Craig Ferguson? I go, yeah. <laughs> I, said, I don't know what I said. I said, no, 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 that's not me. And I was, oh, my gosh, we thought you were Craig Ferguson. You look just like him. You look at that guy, and then you look at me. I'm thinking, I don't look like that guy. Who, who's that guy? I mean, it's all in the eye of the beholder. People say there's, another, there's somebody else on the planet that looks just like you. I say no. And even if they kind of look like you, they're not you. And there's nothing about them that's like you. I promise you. There's no two of you. And your identity, who you are, sets you apart from other people. Now, if that's true, let's define... Um, Let's define identity crisis. This, this, is, this is interesting. Um, to be in, in an identity crisis, the Merriam-Webster's defines it, it defines it this way. A feeling of unhappiness and confusion caused by not being sure about what type of person you really are or what the true purpose of life is. So in other words, you're in identity crisis when you don't know who you are and you don't know why you're here. And you know what? I'll just tell you about myself. That's what my purpose and plan is on the earth, to help people to know who they are in Christ. And know that they have a purpose and a vision that God had established for their lives before they were even thought about. And that makes your mind go tilt. How could God have a plan for my life before I was even thought about? Actually, not just before you were thought about, eons of time before you were even thought about. God had a plan for your life. That's how amazing that he really is. I'll read that again. A feeling of unhappiness. Hmm. So in other words, when you don't know who you are and you don't know why you're here, you're unhappy. So how many unhappy people do you know? And are you unhappy? Don't answer that. Just think about it. Unhappy people are unhappy because, based on this, because they're in identity crisis. They don't know who they are, and they don't know why they're here. So, uh, if, you know, I was, you know, I was born at night, but not last night, and I can figure that out, that if, for me to be happy, I need to know who I am and why I'm here, then we ought to be in hot pursuit of knowing who we are and why we're here. Right? And if you're in hot pursuit of that, it'll create happiness. Through the years, I've had lots of people, uh, and, I, and I'm not talking about anybody that's sitting here today, but I've had lots of people sit across my desk unhappy in their marriages, unhappy in different relationships, 
and telling me that they have a right to be happy. Meaning they want out of their marriage because of the spouse that has made them so unhappy. When you can't blame it on your spouse, it's got to be a result of not knowing who you really are and then what your role in life is and what your role in marriage or whatever it is and why you're here. And when you and I, listen to me, no college in America or around the world will teach you this. No secular college. A lot of Christian colleges will. But there's no secular college that you'll go to and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to learn things and information. Everybody say, everybody say this after me. Pastor believes in college. Okay. I'm just making sure you understand. I believe in college. I went secular and I went. And I think I learned something. Anyway. I got to play golf anyway. <laughs> For free. Anyway. Um, no secular school on the planet will teach you what I'm telling you right here. You are who God says you are, number one, and you were put here with number one mission, first and foremost, before you do anything else. You were put on this planet to be a minister of reconciliation. And what, what that is defined as, reconciliation is to bring back. To reconcile is to bring back, to be restored to an original or better than an original position or state. And what you and I were created and called to do is to be that way ourselves and help other people realize that's who they are. So anything that we do, whether you're a pastor like I'm, you're in ministry, whether you have a job, a career, or whatever, when you know who you are and you know why you're here... It's not to work your job. It's not for a career in business, first. First and foremost, you're a minister of reconciliation, reconciling people, seeing people restored and built to the original state that God had planned for them before they were. That's why we're here. So then, as you do your careers, you go to school, you, you, you fulfill those things in life, you're fulfilling them, helping people out along the way. You're not just going to school to have a career to make a bunch of money to just spend it on yourself. You're here like Abraham as a king. If you're in business, you're king. You're in the earth as a king. And when you bring your tithes to the storehouse, when you bring it where you're fed, you bring your tithe and you honor God in that, there's an exchange of continued blessings. You cannot outgive God. You cannot out honor God. When you honor God in His Word, the blessing flows. And there's been many people through the years that have learned that and realized how, vital, how vitally important it is that we live like that all the time. Amen? Because God created you to live not just happy, happiness is conditional. Happiness is conditional. He created you to, to live a fulfilled and a joyous life in all godliness and dignity in Him. And to do that, we have to know who we are and why we're here. Can you say amen? So, <clears throat> a few verses of Scripture that we're going to look at today or just this morning for the next few minutes um, just enforce what I just got through saying. Galatians 
chapter 2, and the 20th verse. Galatians 2 and verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, this is a, is a couple of lines, a couple of sentences out of a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Galatia. You have to remember, you know, when you write a, how many people write letters in chat? Well, how many people even write letters today? You type letters or whatever. But when, you, when, you, when, when we used to write letters, I mean, how many write letters or even today, if you email stuff, you, do, you write a letter to somebody in chapter and verse? Hi, chapter one. <clears throat> no, you, it, so they, they broke it up so that it'd be easier for us to read and to understand it. But these are letters. And Paul, after many years of ministry and his letter to Galatia, made this statement out of revelation in his heart. This is a good confession for you to speak over yourself every day. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we're at that place. Maturity in God and being identified in God doesn't mean you do everything perfect. Did you hear me? doesn't mean you do everything right and you never make mistakes. No. But the life that I live today, I live by faith in the Son of God who liberated me. That's my identity. See? My faith and trust and confidence is in God who has liberated me. And if my faith is in Him, then I'm not moved by what I see. See, when that becomes revelation, that's the way you live your life. If He truly died and liberated us, and He truly set you free... And, and the scripture says, whom the Son sets free is free. And if you're truly free based on what he did, then why would we want to argue with that? I don't want to argue with it. I want to accept it and receive it. Say this today. I receive, I receive and, accept and accept that through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ I'm, free. I'm free. Amen. We receive it, we re accept it, and that's the way it is. So we're identified with his crucifixion. What he did at Calvary has now positioned me and established me to be the re on the receiving end of all that God has for me. Amen? Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> and verse 1. Romans 12 and 1. I'm going to read this out of the message. Verse 1 and 2 out of the message Bible. Can you give me the message on that? <clears throat> So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Verse 2. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you 
and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. That's what God does. So the world wants you to be identified with failure. God wants you to be identified with victory and freedom and winning all the time, all the time. Notice, notice it says, um, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. So the culture out there is a way of thinking, is it not? The culture of the world thinks one way. God's culture is something that's totally different. There's a lot of different people that say they believe God, but there's a lot of different ideas about who God is. That's why you and I, we identify ourselves with the truth of the word becoming revelation and reality to us. You can't, you know... I, I can't believe specific things for you. You have to believe it for yourself. I can believe that I'm free, and I can encourage Fabian that he's free, but he's got to believe it for himself. He's got to take what is said, what is spoken, and allow those words to become real to him. That's where true identity comes from, and, and that's what liberates us from being in an identity crisis where we don't know who we are and we don't know why we're here. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, from, from today on, you, you, might saw, you might say to yourself, man, I wish I hadn't come and listened to this word today, but now, now you're trapped. <clears throat> and now anybody knows if you get up and walk out. No, I'm kidding. Um, but from here on out, you've got to restructure and re-identify yourself every day of your life from today on, from how... You think about yourself through what you do versus how you think of yourself by who you're connected to. See, my connection with God now establishes me in such a way that I'm not identified through what I do. I'm identified through who he is. When I was young in my walk with God and immature and threatened by other people, I had to be identified with something. And so I used what I did the best in my life, which was play golf, because I did it all my life. And I used my identity with golf as trying to feel like I was something. And I would find myself saying things in front of other people. This is just like after I got born again. I would say things in front of other people so that they knew that I did something good. Because that was so important to me. And along the way, God said, you know what? You, you've got to get rid of that thinking. I didn't have to get necessarily rid of the game of golf. I had to get rid of the thinking that was attached to it. Because before I was born again, I was identified with that. And, and there's a lot of things in life that we're identified with that we have to get liberated and free of. You know, many people in, in the world and in the church have this idea that you know, if you don't worry and take the care of things, that you're not responsible. A lot of people think that. A lot of people in the church still think that. People I come in contact with that are born again, but take the care. And, and, and a lot of times their attitude is, you know, so I, I actually had a guy one time say, after he heard me preach about not taking the care of a specific thing, he came to me and, and, and he brought some other verse of scripture and tried to shoot me down <laughs> 
with, you know, that's not really what that passage in 1 Peter says. And, and it, uh, uh, regarding taking the care. Because he was so determined that I understood that it's okay to care about something. Well, the truth is this. It's not that you don't care about it. You're just not going to take the care. So you can care about something and not take it. You can have a concern about something and be responsible about a specific thing, but not take the care of it. And a lot of people feel that way, and a lot of people's mindset is that way, and, and you have to get delivered of that. You have to liberate yourself in life from that through the power of what God thinks. What he says is so is where I have to establish my life. And my identity has to be in who he says I am, not in what everybody else or everything else says. And, and it takes time to see liberation like that come. It's, and many times it's very difficult. Many times it, it's, it, you have to come to a place where you actually want to be free of it. Because, man, that that's like a, sometimes can be like a pet. Something that, that you just... You keep real close to you, and it's good, familiar ground, and it's comfort. It's a comfort zone almost, and, and we have to get delivered of those things. But you have to choose the, to want to be delivered of it. I can't get you free of it. Only Jesus can. I mean, I can help you. I can pray for you. I can, you know, if God says pray for somebody, lay hands on them about a specific thing. Only under the direction of the Holy Spirit will something like that work. So you, you understand? Laying hands on somebody is not a fix-all. You know, that, that doesn't, it doesn't work like magic. You lay hands on somebody out of obedience of the Holy Spirit, and if that person receives, things happen. Or if you're operating in the gifts of the Spirit, and the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit flow through you, there can be manifestation. But that doesn't, that doesn't guarantee that something will stay kept in a person's life. They have to have faith to receive it and walk it out. And we, so, so along the way, it's not how quick we get set free of something, but it's how real it becomes to us. Say it again, I'm free. I'm free. Whom the Son sets free is free. Now, why would the Son set you free? Because He loved you that much. God loves you and me so much. Now, I'll say this. I've come to the place where I realize God absolutely loves me. And it took me a lot of years. It took me a lot of years. Because screaming in the back of my head constantly were all the mistakes that I made, all the things that I had done, all, all this that didn't work out. I mean, just talking, screaming, just like a tape recorder going in the back of my head constantly. But I'm telling you today, man, God loves me. That last song that we sang today, whew, I mean, I, I feel like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like one of those Guys with those space packs on. Hmm? Feel like I could just go right through the roof when I'm singing about how much God loves me. Because I know it. But you know what? You know what? I, I can't believe that for you. I can tell you about how much I know he loves me. I can tell you what the word says. But you've got to apply it and change your thinking and change the, your identity and change who you are so that who you are is in Him and not in your performance. I promise you, your performances will always come up short. Always. Always. There are people sitting in here today that people in your life, authorities in your life, maybe they were parents or different, not, not necessarily that whoever they were, the authorities in your life were doing it on purpose, but 
because of issues in them, you know, when one person has an issue and they put it on someone else, they weren't necessarily doing that, thinking that, but they were doing it because of the insecurities in their life. And many people, many people have led performance led lifestyles trying to perform to be good enough because they were never good enough in the eyes of somebody that they looked up to. And I'm telling you, in the eyes of God, you're it. And you're good enough. And, it, and if it had only been for you, he would have died. If it had only been for you, he would have sent his son, and his son would have died if it was just for you. And you know what? I heard that years ago. And I didn't believe it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That sounds good. You know, that'll, that'll preach or that'll promote, that'll promote some emotion in people's lives. This is the thought that I, that I had about it. But I can say today, 38 years later, that it's absolutely true. Amen? Because I don't have to perform. You, you know what? I don't, I, I don't come here on Sunday morning to make you mad. But if you don't like me, I can't do anything about it. You understand? There are people out there that don't like me, and I don't know they don't like me. And I don't know what I did to make them not like me, but they don't like me. And they won't tell me they don't like me, and they won't come and face me, and they won't just aim and answer my telephone. And they don't know why. They really don't. It's not their fault. I'm just saying there are people that are offended and hurt and whatever, and it's because they don't know the love of God. See, we don't have to be intimidated. We don't have to be moved and controlled by other people. Because listen, when other people's opinions control you, you'll control. You'll control people that are lesser in your life, and you'll find those people instead of Finding people that will challenge you and cause you to go higher and do more. Iron sharpens iron. But what you'll look for is something that will just sharpen you and make you feel good and feel better, and you'll control that thing. Okay. <clears throat> Genesis 1. What are we talking about? Identity. What are we talking about getting free of? being in identity crisis. No more identity crisis. Can you say amen to that? Genesis 1 and verse 26, and I'm going to read this out of the message also. Verse 26 and 7 of Genesis 1. Can I give me, there we go. God spoke, let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. Now hold it there, hold it there. Um, who is us? The Bible's real clear, and I don't have time to go into it, but the Bible's real clear that us here, that we here, is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Right? Father, Word, and the Holy Spirit. That's us and we in this passage right here. They were all there at the beginning as they created. And he said, let us make human beings in our image. This is what the message says. Um, but I want, I want to say this about that, and then I'll read verse 27, 8, whatever it is. Um, 
you are not just a mere human being if you're born again. If you were born one time, you were born a human being. You were not born, born again. It doesn't matter whether your parents were saved or not, you were not born, born again. You were born a human being, a human, a man, man or a man with a womb. There's only two, there are only two humans on planet earth, and that's the man and man with a womb. And you were born as a human being. And many people think that that's what they are, is just mere humans. But if you're born again a second time, you're not a human being anymore. The moment you got born again, you became a spirit being. See, because everybody say, God is spirit. Right here it says, let us make human beings in our image. So now, once you become born again, you're identified with God who is a spirit, and now that's who we are. See, before you were born again, the spirit of the man, of who you are, was there. It's just like a balloon that's not blown up. Anybody ever found anything really productive about a balloon that's not blown up? Yay! Throw a bag of balloons. It does absolutely nothing. So... A, ba a bag of, in of uninflated balloons or a balloon that is not inflated can really produce no good thing. And even though your human spirit, the potential of that human spirit to be alive was on the inside of you, it didn't get ignited until you got born again. So you were born a, a man, a human, but if you're born again, you're not a mere human being. Now listen to me. I'm just using very quickly, this is an example, okay? In my family lineage, there's all kinds of things. There's cancer. A lot of people in my family have died of cancer. There's, there's, a, there's manic depressive spirits and, 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 and um, chemical imbalances in family members. and all. I mean, just a list of all kinds of things. So see, if I'm a mere human, then I'm attached and tied to all those things. See, all, all those things are capable of coming upon me. But today, I'm telling you, I was born a second time. And when I was born a second time, now my connection is with second birth. And who's that through? Jesus Christ. And now, what happened was, my spirit man was ignited, and now my identity, my identity is in Christ. Does that mean that I'm 100% aware of that identity? Absolutely not. I've got to grow in it. See, when I became a mere human and I was born, my mom didn't just throw me out there and say, okay, fend for yourself. No, I would have died. Right? You're sitting here today and you may be saying, you know, I don't know about all this crud you're talking about. That's what I said. I was in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, the day I got born again. And a guy named Charles Capps, crew cut in his late 60s. I'm 17 years old, and I'm thinking, this guy can say nothing to me. I had long hair, curly hair. 
I wanted to look like Peter Frampton. Bing, <laughs> <laughs> bing. <laughs> And that man changed my life because he started talking about something that I'd never heard. And I'm sitting there thinking, either this guy's lying or everybody else has lied to me about life. And that day, I got born again having no understanding whatsoever. But by faith in what that man said, by faith in the words of that man, I received Jesus into my life. And forever, I'm indebted and, and grateful for the word that he preached. And today, you may be saying, you know, I'm not sure about everything that you said. That's all right. Yeah, just say out of your mouth when you leave here today, I don't totally understand what he said, but I receive it in the name of Jesus. And Heavenly Father, I ask you to show me and bring revelation to me day by day by day. And if you do that, I promise you, what happens is your identity comes away from first birth, and it gets connected to second birth. Woo! And then everything that second birth uh, identity you have a right to, all those things are yours. See? All, all my inheritance in second birth belongs to me today. See? Because he died, and then he rose, and he said, I'm leaving it all to you. It's all mine today. So why would I accept what first birth had issues and problems with, I love all them, thank God for all them, but I'm not going to be the recipient of what took them out. And things that brought problems to them, I'm delivered, I'm free in Christ Jesus because I'm identified with Christ. It's not I that live, it's Christ that lives in me in the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who delivered me and set me free and I can arise today and be everything God created me to be. Amen? Today... You and I are not in identity crisis. We're identifying ourselves with Christ. Settled. Amen? So, just in the last few minutes, I want to read these two passages of Scripture. 1 Peter 5, and I'll leave you with this. 1 Peter 5. In verse 5, <clears throat> likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all of your care upon him. For he cares for you. I'm not talking about this today, but just remember what those two verses just got through saying. Those two verses just got through saying that if you cast your care upon God and trust him with the cares and let him deal with the cares, that's humbling yourself under his mighty hand. Just remember that. Verse 8. <clears throat> be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us 
to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Here's my identity. Here's my identity. He called me. He called me to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After you have suffered a while, will perfect, establish, and strengthen, and settle you. After you've suffered, to him be glory. Go ahead, put that up. To him be glory and the dominion forever, amen. To him be glory. But after you've suffered for a little while, and listen to me, man, people misunderstand this suffering thing. My goodness. I've had some stories, and it's just like, how can, you, how can the two of us get two completely different things out of, out of the passage of Scripture? So I'm telling you, you got to get it for yourself. This is what I think, okay? The ultimate, the ultimate suffering was Jesus Christ. It began through Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the ultimate suffering produced, listen to me, it produced the ultimate sacrifice as a result of the ultimate submission that mankind has never seen before, ever. Listen, what did Jesus say? Lord, if there be any other way, yet not my will, Jesus' will, but yours, Father, be done. Jesus' will and what he wanted and what Father wanted were different. And what did he do? He submitted. He did what Father said. There was some suffering involved, but how many people know that that suffering was for 12 and a half hours? Everything he suffered in the flesh from one night until the next day was over 12 hours. After you've suffered for a while, he will perfect, confirm, establish you in the faith. For you and I to know who we are and to be identified with Christ, there are things that you have to walk through because when you're connected to first birth and everything, your identity with first birth, the moment you become born again, all of that first birth understanding in your head doesn't go away now your soul your mind will and emotions have to be saved and cleansed and set free and delivered like we read in Romans 1 be transformed changed by the renewing of our mind with new ideas and new attitudes that have to be developed in our life if that doesn't happen in you you can be born again and stay unrenewed and stay defeated and stay living in this death cycle that's in the world that's connected to first birth and all the things that you learned before you got born again. But I say today, we're not going to let that happen. We're going to continue to develop ourselves and allow the Word to transform us and change us so that what we walk through, the suffering doesn't have to last forever. The things that you walk through that are difficult can be difficult for time. Listen to me. This is, this is a difficulty. When you have an attitude towards someone and you're not willing to change and you keep that unforgiveness or bitterness in your heart, you hold on to that thing, then that, all that's going to do is produce what the Bible says is the results of unforgiveness and bitterness.
But if you choose to put the word on that, you choose to love people that have done you wrong, you choose to, the people that have despitefully used you, as the scriptures say, you choose to love them and forgive them, things can happen in ways that you have no idea. Because what comes on the scene is God establishing you in the faith and you being on the receiving end of everything you were created to accomplish. Because listen, how can you go and win the world when you can't forgive your neighbor? No. I'm not saying you can't go win the world as you're working through things. But you reject those kind of things and you go win the world, but there's no reward in that because you didn't get over the things that bothered you. God wants us getting over it and being liberated and free. So things that we suffer like that, that we feel like are a hard thing, they're just for a little while. But once you get confirmed and established, man, you're on the receiving end of power like you've never seen in your life. Can you say amen? And I'll end with this, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16. This confirms this. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16. Therefore, is a result, and actually in this passage, he's talking about those types of things, sufferings or things that have come against us. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And I'm telling you, your outward man, whether you live to be 100 or 120 or 150 or whatever, the outward man is perishing because you have a new, resurrected, glorified body that you'll live forever in. And the outward man is perishing, so where we need to be spending most of our time is the renewing of the way we think. So we don't stay thinking connected to first birth. We are developing ourselves into second birth and knowing who we are spiritually and our rights in the kingdom and our rights on planet earth. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness, but he gave it to who? The sons of men. The people that have received who they are in God and connected to this spiritual life, this second birth life, instead of just talking about it, we're, we're, we're recipients of it. And he said, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Verse 17. For our light affliction, everybody say light affliction. Notice, notice he didn't say that this heavy burden. And yet... Keeping something for six years seems like a heavy burden. But it wasn't intended to be a heavy burden. It was intended to be a light affliction. After you've suffered for a little while. Remember that. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Remember, a day's a thousand years in God. So, a, you know, a, a moment's about six months which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are what? They're temporary. What does that mean? They're subject to change. Can this pulpit change? If I get enough guys up here, can you guys dismantle this pulpit? to where it'll never be a pulpit again. Yeah. Oh, we can fix it. No, not if you go burn it. Melt it, crush it, do whatever. We have to buy a new one. This baby is subject to change. The Word of God will never change. 
God's promises will never change. Why? Because God cannot lie. It's not that he could lie, but he chooses not to. He can't lie. So every promise in his word is yes and amen. And every promise will come to pass if we get ourselves identified with second birth. And we stay there. I'm a spirit. I'm not a mere man. I'm not a mere human. I'm a spirit. I have a soul, a mind, will, and emotions, and I live in this physical body, but this physical body is not me. Hmm? When, you, when you see me in this physical body, you know it's me, but that's not me. Because when this physical body stops breathing and it falls to the ground, I'm alive. I'm face to face with him. And today, he said, if we're spending too much time looking at the things that are seen and too concerned about things that don't really matter, we'll never identify ourselves and be identified with who we are in Christ. And that's all that matters. In life, you are not, you are not what you do. That's not you. You are who he says you are. And you've got to learn that so that what you do in life will bring glory to him and it won't be about you. And the more we learn that day by day, the more we'll be on the receiving end of all that God has for us. And I don't know about you, but I just, I want to be that. I had this picture. I'll leave you with this. I had this picture one time. I, I used to sell coffee. I was a coffee salesman for Farmer Brothers Coffee Company in McAllen, Texas, South Texas, as far as you can go before you go into Mexico. And uh, even to this day, I think it's the largest restaurant service coffee company in America still, still owned by the farmers. Mr. Roy Farmer and his sons and nephews and brothers and family and everybody out of, out of California, out of Los Angeles, or close to Los Angeles. And I worked for that company for several years. I don't remember how long it was I worked there, but for a while. And uh, they, they brought us, we had, a, we had a big company meeting, and they all brought us to California to where they had all their silos of beans and everything. And they showed us how to, how they separated beans and how they roasted coffee. And if they wanted a certain roast of coffee, they, they had these, these massive trucks that had these liners in them. And they'd, they'd, they'd pull this truck under a silo, and they'd dump the coffee in the back of this truck. And then the truck would go and dump that where they were going to roast. But, but a certain roast had to have certain different types of beans. So there's a, it, was, it was so much of this bean and so much of this bean and so much of that bean. And so we're all standing up looking down at the bottom of these massive silos. The tops of them went out outside, but they, they were all covered up. And down inside, the trucks came in, and they would, they would back up to where that thing released. And so we're watching all these silos. And so that truck backed up right in the back of the truck. Another one backed up. All the beans had come out. And they take it, and they showed us how they roasted it. We did that several times. And one time, a truck came, and it backed up. But it backed up to the wrong silo. And so the guy upstairs, or wherever they released those beans, thought the truck was there because he was in place, but he was under the wrong one. And when they released it, all the beans went just all in the ground. And they had to throw all those beans away and get rid of them because they couldn't clean them or whatever. They just had to dump it. In other words, those beans were no good. That's always been in the back of my mind. Always been in my mind. That truck was not on the receiving end of that silo. 
it was in the wrong place. And when we don't know God, and we're not developing this understanding and this relationship with God, we find ourselves under different silos getting loads of things that we don't want. I want to be directly under his silo, receiving it all the time. So you know what? I've been under the wrong silos. And I've gotten some dumps of stuff and things and gotten the results of, of unforgiveness that I couldn't deal with at a young age in my Christian walk and couldn't get over specific things toward people and family members and things. And I couldn't get past it. And so I found myself backing up and getting loads of things and, and, and reaping certain things because of what I couldn't get over in my heart. As God, His mercy and grace was there and helped me through things. And as I began to be able to deal with those things and grow spiritually and not be so mindful of the things in the natural, but focused on the things that will never change, it changed me. And that's all you and I have to do. This isn't three strikes and you're out. Hmm? You get, to, you get to be at bat for the rest of your life. And you get to continue to swing until you hit it. You get to continue to back your truck up to the silos until you receive all that God has for you. And this whole life is about you and I maturing and developing and becoming what he created us to be. What an awesome God. Just close your eyes.